when we ask about the person of Jesus, we're, we're basically saying, who is he? You know, God the Son, the Son of God. Uh, one person in two natures, uh, fully human and fully divine. And when we talk about the work of Jesus, we're talking about what is it that he accomplished here in his ministry uh, on earth and also after. And of course, Jesus did many things for his people, but we can sum it up, I think, by saying he did two major things for us, a removal and a bestowal. He removed our sin by taking sin for us. In fact, last week we talked about that, justification, a removal, and then a bestowal, which is our topic for this morning, a baptizing of us in and with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20, there's an account. Jesus had risen from the dead, and he went on to appear to Mary Magdalene, and then to the disciples, and uh, he showed them his hands and his feet so they could get a, a sense of the fact that he had been risen from the dead. And then, and this is in John 20, he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's his bestowal to you, one of his great works, justification, the removal of, of sin, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit bestowal upon us. Uh, he was foreshadowing, forecasting, really, the fullness of the Spirit that was to come in Pentecost not many days after that. In fact, in Acts chapter 1, we read, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we are continuing in our series on the Holy Spirit, what we believe. If you haven't been here before, we've been going through essentially our statement of faith that we have here at the church. Uh, there's several more messages after, but today is uh, the one on the Holy Spirit. And you have that for you, and I will be making reference to it on the back of this card here. So uh, you might want to have your Bibles open as well as that card as we kind of go through it. Now, I am going to go through it pretty much the first half of it, pretty carefully, and then as it turned out, the second half, I've decided to divert a little bit into some topics that I wanted to make sure that we emphasize. And so you have it in front of you. I won't read it all right now, but we'll begin by just starting with the very first sentence and then making a few comments and going from there. And so this statement, which is a very good statement, by the way, it's short, it can't say everything, but I think it's a very excellent summary of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. It starts, we believe that salvation, attested in all scripture and secured by Jesus Christ, is applied to his people by the Holy Spirit. The Christian life begins with a new birth. It was Jesus who first declared that spiritual rebirth was an absolute necessity. What did he say? You must be born again. Uh, that rebirth, we call it regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, we read, he, that's Jesus, saved us not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Well, we continue to read. Sent by the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ and is present with and in believers. Uh, so note the language, sent by the Father and the Son. Obviously a reference to the Trinity. We know from the Bible that the Son is sent by the Father. In John 15, we learn that it is the Son who will send the Spirit, quote, from the Father. And in John 16, we, we learn that the Son will send the Spirit. And so, in a very precise way, it's accurate to say the Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ, it goes on to say. Uh, so note, the role of the Holy Spirit is focused not on himself, and I use the word himself because the Holy Spirit is a person, it's not a it or a thing or a force, but rather the very person of the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit doesn't focus on himself though, but rather he points to and glorifies God the Son. In John 15, we read, but when the helper comes, that's that word paraclete, spirit, when the spirit comes, the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, Jesus finishes that sentence by saying, he will bear witness about me. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that's referred to as the Holy Spirit has a ministry that some people call the floodlight ministry. Again, that was an unusual word for me at first, but I've gotten used to it. If you think about it, uh, your backyard may be like ours. You have lights there in the back that are on a timer, and it seems like several times per year our timers get messed up and they either come on way too early or way too late. And so I can envision myself, I have been out there walking, it hasn't come on, it's pitch dark, and you can't see anything, and you're groping around, and then all of a sudden, boom, they click on. And all of a sudden, you can see things that you could not see before. The toy that you almost tripped over, or the swing set, or the pool that you fell in, it illuminated the things. Well, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is the floodlight that makes Jesus visible to us. The Spirit's message is, uh, it, to us is never look at me, come to me, get to know me, but always the role of the Holy Spirit says look at him, see his glory, listen to Christ and hear his words, go to him and have life, get to know him, his gift of joy and peace. In fact, one author I read said, if we talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, uh, we may not have a correct understanding of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to point us to Jesus. Well, it goes on. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and by his powerful and mysterious work regenerates spiritually dead sinners, awakening them to repentance and faith. Have you changed your mind about Jesus? 
Well, if so, the Holy Spirit did that. Did you used to think Jesus was just a moral teacher or a prophet only or maybe a good man, but, but not really God, the Son, the Son of God, who took upon himself human flesh and died in your place? Well, if you've come to that place, it was the Holy Spirit that brought you there. 2 Corinthians 5, we read, From now on, we therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. The Apostle Paul writes about his own change of mind. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, he goes on to say. He changed your mind about who Jesus was. He also changed your mind about sin. In John 16, we read, but if I go, that's Jesus, if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Do you remember your own conviction of sin? Do you come under conviction now of your sin? Are there things that you used to do and that you didn't consider wrong, but now you know it is wrong, it is sin? It's a violation of God's law? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It goes on, baptizing them into union with the Lord Jesus such that they are justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Well, let's take the second half of that sentence first. Justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What does the Holy Spirit do? He works a supernatural transformation in you. He obliterates the old nature. He obliterates your slavery to sin and gives you a new nature and a new desire to serve him. In the membership class that we have here at Roosevelt Church, uh, in the section where we really kind of talk about the theology of the Bible, we made a decision many, many years ago to, to explain that by going through what's called the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, the re-emphasis that, uh, that came from that re correction course of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, here, in this very sentence, you have three of the five. Uh, grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. The other two, by Scripture alone, and for the glory of God alone. Great summaries of what the Bible teaches. The key word here is the word alone. We're saved in Jesus, yes, but Jesus alone. Saved by grace, yes, but by grace alone and by faith alone. So our doctrine is not Jesus plus something, but rather you're saved by Jesus plus nothing. Jesus alone. Well, back to the beginning of this section. Baptizing them into union with the Lord Jesus. Now, that reference to baptism here is not to baptism by water. Baptism by water is a symbol and a sign and a seal, but it's not the reality. The reality is a baptism by Jesus with the Holy Spirit. 
what does it mean to be baptized with or in? I think those can be used in the same way. What does it mean to be baptized with or in the Holy Spirit? And it's here I'm going to take a diversion and not finish reading the entire rest of this chapter on the Holy Spirit, but now really focus on this issue of being baptized by and in the Holy Spirit. So where are we headed? First, I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then I want to talk about a related subject, but an important one, and that would be the fullness or the filling of the Holy Spirit. All right, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That language, baptized with the Holy Spirit, appears seven times in the New Testament. Four of them are found in the Gospel of John. And they're all very similar. They're descriptive of what Jesus will do. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit. The fifth one is from Acts chapter 1. I read that already. The promise by Jesus of the Spirit coming at Pentecost. Before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, Jesus says. The sixth also is in the book of Acts. It's Peter remembering the words of Jesus in his sermon. I remember the word of the Lord. Peter says how he said, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So obviously we know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a real biblical doctrine. The seventh reference, of which we'll spend a little more time on, is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where we read, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now again, he's not talking about baptism by water here, but rather he is talking about a spirit baptism, a baptism by Jesus in or with the Holy Spirit. And the key word, I think, in 1 Corinthians 12 is that word, all. Uh, one spirit, but in that one spirit, we were all baptized. And so, what is the verse talking to? Who is it talking to? Well, it's talking to all, all of those who take upon the name of Christ. All were baptized. All were made to drink of one spirit. Paul will now go on in the rest of 1 Corinthians 12 and tell us of the spiritual gifts that the Spirit gives to us, but before the gifts of the Spirit are bestowed upon the people of God, we are told that we all have received the gift of the Spirit, singular. The gift is the initial gift God has given to his children. And so if you're here today and you're a professing Christian, have taken upon his name, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's a, a once-for-all gift that Jesus does not take away. In fact, the reason that we can have Christian unity is because we all have been baptized with this one Spirit. In fact, you can't even be a Christian unless you have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, I think, makes that point extremely clear. We read, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ 
does not belong to him. So, to summarize, the baptism of the Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit is that initial blessing received at the beginning of the Christian life, and it is a universal blessing for all of God's children. It occurs with repentance and faith. The baptism of the Spirit is something that Jesus does for us. Uh, We don't do it to ourselves. It is a gift of God. But the Bible does go on to describe another experience, or experiences, I suppose I should say, that we have as children of God, and we call it the filling, or the uh, the fullness of the Spirit. In fact, in Ephesians 5, a text that we'll read in just a few minutes, we are told to seek the filling or fullness of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, the Apostle writes in Ephesians 5. And so when we turn our attention from the baptism of the Spirit to the fullness of the Spirit, we are turning away from that initial gift God has given us to his children to one that is continuous, but it may fluctuate. And I hope to show that in the, in, the, in the next few moments. The fullness of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit is something that is not once for all, but it is a continuous state And as such, it needs to be maintained and continuously appropriated. Uh, Think of it this way. One baptism, many fillings. One baptism, many times we seek the fullness of the Spirit. Now, in looking at the New Testament that speaks of people being filled with or full of the Holy Spirit, uh, I think we can kind of see almost three major, three kind of different categories of this occurring, just as we look at the, at the examples. And I'm not giving all of them, but I'll give you a hopefully enough to, so you can see that. First, being filled or full of the Holy Spirit is the expected, it's the normal characteristic of every dedicate, dedicated Christian. It, it's sort of what our normal position in life should be, that we're filled with or full of the Holy Spirit, because we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, The seven who were set aside for the care of the Jerusalem widows were said to be, quote, full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Barnabas is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. The newly converted disciples of Pisidian Antioch were, quote, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is what God intends for us. It is, hopefully, our normal and most common state. Certainly one that God desires for us. But there are other passages in the Bible that make me say that being filled with the Spirit can indicate an endowment for a particular ministry or an office. Uh, John the Baptist, the scripture says, was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb in preparation for his special prophetic ministry. Uh, We have on many occasions at Roosevelt Church had special prayers, a new elder, a deacon, a person leaving to start a church, a person leaving to become a missionary. I didn't know we were going to have such a prayer today that Barbara led us in where people stood up who are set aside to work in certain areas of ministry in the church. And there was a prayer 
for the filling, for the fullness, for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And then we also read in the Bible that the, the Spirit is given maybe not so much to someone who has a lifelong task, like a missionary or a pastor, but rather kind of a, a special occasion, maybe even a, a difficult, maybe an emergency. Zachariah and Elizabeth were quote, filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, before he was martyred, before he was stoned to death, it says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God as he went to his death. And Paul, who was with Barnabas, when they encountered their first opposition in the person of Elimus, the sorcerer, we read, as Paul would go on to rebuke him, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It converts at conversion. It occurs at conversion. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, needs to be maintained. In other words, it, it can be diminished. I think it can be lost. But it can be recovered. How is it lost? Well, sin. How is it recovered? Well, repentance. You see, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench, put out the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're exhorted to no longer walk as we once did, but walk in the Spirit. We are told to continually put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and be renewed in the Spirit, put on the new self. Ephesians 4 goes on to list other sins which we can commit, corrupting talk, stealing, anger, and the list goes on. And then the command, but do not and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Likewise, in 1 Thessalonians 5, we are exhorted to not do certain things which are considered sin, not repay anyone evil for evil. We're exhorted to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. And then the warning, do not quench the Spirit. Galatians 5 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Clearly implying that in fact, it's something that we have to continuously appropriate and be concerned about and seek God's filling. Because yes, it is possible, and perhaps for some of us all too common, to have been baptized with the Spirit and yet cease to be filled with the Spirit. Now again, one baptism, many fillings. One baptism, the seeking of many fillings or fullness of the Holy Spirit. Think back to, again, that passage in 1 Corinthians 12. They were all baptized, all of them, with the Holy Spirit, and yet, in that same book, the apostle rebukes them as, quote, unspiritual people, not spirit-filled. 1 Corinthians 3, but I, brothers, he writes, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. 
These are people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on right after that to mention their particular sins, in this case, jealousy and strife. So it's 1 Corinthians 3 where we get the language and the concept of a carnal Christian. A Christian who is a Christian, truly, but yet walking, at least at that time, dominated by the flesh. They had the Holy Spirit, but they're called people of the flesh, unspiritual, even though they had been baptized by the Spirit. Their, their behavior was so inconsistent and their knowledge so infantile as well that they had little understanding of the Christian life. And it's clear implied in Paul's rebuke there in 1 Corinthians 3 that they should have been ready for solid food, but they were not. He still had to give them milk because they were infants. They had not grown up. They had not taken advantage of the things that they could have and should have. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Well, what is the evidence then of the Spirit's fullness? If that's something we're to seek and something we have to maintain and take care of, what are the things that we should see in our own life? Well, we read from Galatians 5, and I think that whole passage speaks to that, and I'll make mention of that again in a moment. But I want to now turn our attentions to Ephesians 5, and I'd like you to turn there with me if you would. Ephesians 5, it's on page 978 if you're using the Bibles in front of you. Ephesians 5, 978, uh, page 978. And I'll start at verse 18, and we read, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So note, there's really four action items there, four, four verbs, if you will. Uh, all of them speak of a relationship either with God or with our fellow man. The first one, and of course note too that here's, here's this command really, it's in the imperative, be filled with the Spirit. And then we have a demonstration here in this passage of the kinds of things that we're to expect to be different or see in our lives. Uh, one, it just says, addressing one another. Uh, literally, it's the word speaking. Uh, in a related verse from Colossians 3, it says, uh, dwell richly in the words of Christ so that you might teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And so it applies, of course, that uh, we're on speaking terms and good speaking terms, and we're speaking about things that are important. We're encouraging people. We're addressing people. We're in fellowship. Singing and making melody to the Lord. Well, it almost seems that that's a continuation, right? It's, uh, it's part of what we do in a formal worship service like we do on Sunday mornings. But also I think it applies to home worship and home conversations and your small groups and your prayer triads and all the other things that you might be involved with. 
you sing and you make melody uh, to the Lord. Giving thanks, giving thanks would be a demonstration of what it means to be filled or having the fullness of the Spirit. Now note, it's not just giving thanks, but it's rather giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That does take the work of the Holy Spirit, does it not? We can give thanks when things are, are good, but it's not in our flesh to give thanks when we're struggling or difficulties or problems or sad things happen. Uh, the, the sin of, of bickering, of complaining, is a sin that's talked about in the New Testament, and as we know, it was one of the great besetting sins of the people of God in the Old Testament. And then the last is submitting. Uh, here, Paul is going to go on and be more specific about role relationships that the Bible talks about, but here, the emphasis is not on self-assertion, but rather self-submission. Uh, that's the mark. That's a mark of being full or filled by the Holy Spirit. So again, this is in the imperative. Now note, we have no command in the Bible to be baptized by the Spirit because it is done for us by Jesus. But we have a command, we have an encouragement to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit in several places in the Bible. And this, this particular passage in Ephesians 5 the command to be filled is in vivid contrast with another command, not to get drunk. You know, I think the characteristic, the single mark of drunkenness would be a, a loss of self-control. The fullness of the Spirit, as he compares the two, is the opposite. It is self-control. And as you may know, self-control is also one of the fruits of the spirit that we read about, that we read in Galatians 9. Uh, excessive alcohol leads to debauchery, it says. Excessive, unrestrained, irrational, sinful behavior. But the fullness of the spirit leads to the practice of the fruit of the spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, and he goes on further. But the fruit of the Spirit, and then he gives us nine characteristics, which I think are the key marks of what it means to be filled or have the fullness of the Spirit. It's interesting that love is the first one. That would fit with, of course, 1 Corinthians 13 and the importance of the gift of the fruit of love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you desire to seek and increasingly practice the fruit of the Spirit? Well, that's the work of the Spirit in his fullness in your life. Uh, have you seen your life change, and is it ever changing? Well, if so, that's the work of the Spirit filling you. Uh, do you no longer see the desires of the flesh as something that you want, 
Or have the desires of the flesh been reduced in your own thinking to where now you seek the fruit of the Spirit as its replacement? Do you walk with him and keep in step with him? Well, if so, that is the work of the Spirit in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit is not some vague thing that simply sort of inspires us. We can talk about the Spirit of Christmas, and that's okay, but that's not the Holy Spirit. Uh, we may say the force be with you. I'm not sure that's okay. But that's not the Holy Spirit either. Um, if you think about it, if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit, there would be no gospel. Uh, there would be no faith. There would be no church. There would be no Christianity because there would be no Christians. It's the Holy Spirit who opened your eyes to Jesus so that you might receive him in faith and repentance. How do we find and maintain the fullness of the Spirit? Well, we come expecting to be full of the Spirit. We come thirsty and drink from the fount of the blessing that we have in Jesus. We get drunk by drinking. We become filled with the Spirit by drinking also. Notice the language that Paul used of drinking in 1 Corinthians 12. In John 7, we read about this. We read this. On the last day of the feast... That great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed. Now listen to these words. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. It goes on. The Apostle John writing comments. He, Jesus, said this about the Spirit... So Jesus was talking about the promised Holy, coming Holy Spirit. He said this about the Spirit, which those who believed in him, Jesus, were to receive. For yet, as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. How are we filled? How do we seek the fullness of the Spirit? Let him come. To me, Jesus says, and drink. Believe in me. Grow in me. We have come and we must continue to come to seek him out. When we are thirsty, we ask for a drink of water. When we desire to be spiritually full, we ask for a drink of the fullness and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Come, thirst, drink. Now, Again, I didn't know we were going to sing a new song today, Fall Afresh. And as I sang that song, I realized how appropriate the words were. I think I wrote down one stanza right. A spirit of God, fall afresh on me. Wake me from my sleep. Or something close to that, wasn't it? Spirit of God, uh, fall afresh on me. Wake me from my sleep. Well, I think that's the kind of prayer that that whole song really was a prayer that, in fact, we might appropriate and grow in the fullness of the Spirit. In one of the books I was reading, the author said, who was not a young man at the time of his writing, he said, as far as I know, as far as I can remember, not a day has gone by that I haven't prayed, he writes, that I be filled or full of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there are some prayers which I have been pretty regular on. Maybe not every day, but, but pretty regular. But 
that has not been one of them. And I was really convicted by that sort of miss, if you will, in my own life. And so I've made the commitment, just for me, not for you, I've made the commitment, so as far as I can, as far as I'm able, to make sure that each day that is a prayer that I will make as well. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Come, thirst, drink, and pray. Amen? Amen. Let's, let me close this in prayer. Uh, Lord, you are our God. We are your people. Uh, we are yours because you have come and taken upon yourself human flesh and have uh, died and been resurrected and ascended and have sent along with the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who guides us, who convicts us, who teaches us, who gives us joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We pray that we as a church and as individuals might um, seek your filling and your fullness. We thank you for our baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we pray that each day we might see your work in our hands in ever greater measure. In your name we pray, amen.